Overdrive, a program that plays with cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we take a close look at vehicle sales for the first quarter of the year, including the overall market, the luxury market, and the cheap and cheerful part of the market. And while on car sales, we chat to Mercedes-Benz about an unusual result. Their C-Class Coupe and Cabriolet sales are booming. We road test the Range Rover Sport SVR. If you think this is just another SUV for picking up the kids at school, think again. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including court orders, a small Ohio speed trap town to refund $3 million in unconstitutional speeding tickets. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. Vehicle figures for the first three months of 2017 have been released and they indicate that we have a fairly volatile market. For the first quarter, overall sales are down 2%. But Toyota has consolidated its lead with a 4% growth in sales numbers. Second place Mazda is stable, while third and fourth placed Hyundai and Holden are down around 10% each. Fifth placed Ford lost a little ground, while sixth placed Mitsubishi struggled in January but bounced back, outselling Ford and Holden in February and March. In 10th place, Subaru has increased its sales by 8% on the success of its new Impreza model, but the bullet performer in 9th place is Kia, but they are not getting ahead of themselves. Kevin Hepworth, their General Manager of Media and Communications, sums up their position. Well, last year was a record sales, just over 42,000. This year we're up 34.8%, I believe it is, on the, uh, on the sales to date. So yeah, we're happy. Um, we're, we're meeting business plans or exceeding business plans at the moment, but that's only three months of a year. There's, there's another nine hurdles to jump. In the luxury car segment, there are some winners and losers in the sales race. Number one brand, Mercedes, has increased its sales, but second place BMW and third placed Audi have dropped by about 15% each. Lexus is a distance fourth, but its sales are growing. Volvo sold less cars than Porsche. But further down the ladder board, Jaguar and Infiniti have good percentage increases. Audi and BMW's problem could be an ageing fleet in some of their better sellers. BMW's top six selling cars have all declined in sales, in one case by over 38%. They could have also suffered from a sluggishness in the luxury SUV market. The three top-selling BMWs and three out of the top four Audis are SUVs. Luxury SUV sales are down except in the medium class, in which the big winner is Land Rover, and the super-large class, which neither Audi nor BMW have a vehicle. Anna Bergdorf from Audi says that there is still some activity, but not enough sales. Our dealers are still seeing positivity and, and opportunity It just didn't translate in the first quarter of the year. At the other end of the spectrum from the luxury cars is the smallest and lowest price category, the micro-passenger cars. 
For a number of years, this segment has been in free fall. It seemed to be more about getting people in the dealership door with the temptation of a very low price, then trying to upsell them to bigger products. This segment was so unrewarding that last year Nissan withdrew its Micra from the market. In April last year, Kia offered for sale for the first time in Australia its little Picanto. It has blitzed the segment, even though the model they introduced has been in production overseas for over four years. In the first quarter of this year, it has captured 43% of the category and it's on an upward climb with a 56% market share in March. Kevin Hepworth from Kia puts the sales into perspective. And as you say, this is a run-out car. Uh, by May, there'll be an all-new model, which is a much richer, fully connected vehicle. So, yeah, we're, we're happy with it. It's not huge numbers. I mean, 250-odd a month is not massive, but it's certainly, uh, certainly sweet. And that has been the transport and motoring news for this week. Mercedes-Benz in Australia has 26 models in its lineup, more than most other brands. Market leader Toyota, for example, has just 20. I tend to think of the Mercedes range as being dominated by large luxury cars, but their top seller is their small medium-sized C-Class. Their second best seller is their small A-Class, but the one that surprised me coming in in third place was the grouping of the C-Class Coupe and Convertible. Of course, they called the convertible a cabriolet. I asked David McCarthy, Mercedes-Benz Senior Manager, Public Relations, Product and Corporate, why such a niche car should be selling so well. Uh, look, David, I think, um, one, the accessibility of the cars, the, the price brackets they're sitting in, the range of cars, so, uh, you know, from four cylinders to uh, diesels to V6s, to the two AMG models um, gives people an enormous choice. So uh, the price bracket, you know, you're going from 70000 to about 110 with quite a few stops in between. So people have a choice. Um, I particularly think the design of the, the Coupe and the Cabrio, um, they're beautiful cars. Um, and that's obviously, um, you know, people are noticing them. But I think the value equation also is, is getting them there as well as the range. Do you think we're moving into a, a even more time where uh, we are buying cars not just on their um, uh, solid status but as a really an art form? Do you think that we there is a, a, a strong movement to cars being, I won't say bling, but you know, being much more to do with um, stylish representation rather than just a name and a reputation. Absolutely. I mean, good design um, sells itself. You know, people can see that the, you know a lot of thought has gone into the design. It's contemporary, but it's it's also a design that I don't think is going to age. So. People can see that. Um, it's a bit like Frank Lloyd, Lloyd Wright's architecture. Um, I was recently in the States and I saw one of his houses. Um, which, oh, how long ago would it be, David? Is it, you know, it'd be 50, 60, 70 years. And it is still a very contemporary looking house. So I think in vehicle design, it's the same thing. If you go for fads, it's good at the time. 
but doesn't stand the test of time. Your Mercedes is actually doing in, in the first quarter of the year very well. Some of the uh, other luxury brands, not so much. Uh, do you feel that you are um, uh, uh, stepping ahead of the market even more? Um, I don't think good taste has a limit. <laughs> um, it's a very competitive market. Um, Last month, March, was our best month ever in Australia. Um, as a brand, it's the first time in memory that we actually outsold the total of our two nearest competitors. But again, it is a competitive market and our product offering, uh, we have well over 100 models in our, in our range. And at the top of each model range uh, sits an AMG. Now, last year, we did just over 5,000 AMGs. That gives us a um, huge advantage with, with headquarters. But again, the range there is quite large. We expect this year to probably do 6,000 AMGs. Currently, AMG is running at just over 20% of our volume. Now, there are brands out in the market that don't do those numbers. Um, so as a brand alone, it can stand on its own, but it does sit at the top of each model range. Are you doing many AMGs in the coupes and convertibles? Or the... Yes. Currently, our biggest selling C-Class AMG is the, is the C63 coupe. <laughs> That's the best of all worlds, isn't it? A, a, a coupe with... Oh, I think no. I reckon, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a beautiful car. It's it's beautiful as well as being brutish. Um, you know, incredible road holding and and dynamics and performance as as well as uh, beauty. So yeah, it's a really it's a pretty special combination to be honest. And that was David McCarthy from Mercedes Benz Australia. The whole interview is available on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. This is Overdrive across Australia. We talked in the news about luxury car sales and at the other end of the market, the cheapest vehicles you can buy, in that case with special reference to Kia. But last week I was picked up in a black hire car from Melbourne Airport. The vehicle turned out to be a Kia Optima. This is classified in the medium sedan category, but is elegant in its design and comes with many features. The driver said he had no complaints about the vehicle, nor did his passengers. I like the Optima, and it seems to be slotting into a credible market segment. Perhaps that is another reason Audi and BMW are not doing so well this year. You're listening to Overdrive. Does the idea of a sport SUV seem like a contradiction in terms? Well, the sound you just heard was not a race car, a traditional sports car, or even a hot sedan. It was the Range Rover SVR with a supercharged 5-litre V8 engine. 
It seems even more of a contradiction when you realise that Land Rover has a long tradition of building sturdy and capable four-wheel drives and has continued to develop some very advanced technology to let you take your car off-road, which remains as part of this vehicle as well. Yet here is a beast with 405 kilowatts of power, that's 543 horsepower in the old measure, and with 680 newton metres of torque, which is enough pulling power to tow a horse trailer, even if you are carrying Clydesdales. All of which will take this 2.3 tonne vehicle from 0 to 100 kilometres an hour in just 4.7 seconds without the horse trailer. Before we become too analytical about the vehicle, what sort of impact does it have from someone who drives normal, practical vehicles? My mate Colin sat in the passenger seat as we went around the block. We started out gently as we moved through the city, but then we just had to accelerate quickly to get up to the open speed limit. What was his response? I thought, uh, wow, this is why you're paying a lot of money. <laughs> I loved the sound of it. It sounded almost, uh, I loved that burble and the grunt that it uh, that had in it, that sort of put you back in the seat acceleration. I, um, yeah, yeah, I just thought, wow, that's, uh, that's very, very impressive, especially for a, you know, a decent-sized car. Now, you and I have been around for a few years. Did that, that sort of rumbling sound pass your mind back to your youth in any way? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There's nothing quite like the sound of a, uh, a burbling V8. Yeah, when you accelerate in it, it just uh, it goes like a scalded cat. It's lovely. It's just... Um, it's pretty pretty impressive. You're a tall lad. You found that uh, there was reasonable room to get into. A little hard to climb into, but not bad once you're in there. No, look, I no, I actually found it was okay to to get into. I, I think I, I I don't recall sort of having any uh, any difficulty. I thought it was pretty good to uh, yeah, pretty easy for me. For someone who's a little bit shorter with those twenty two inch wheels, uh, it might they might find a little bit of a um, little bit of a climb. But uh, yeah, it's six foot. Too, I've, I've found it quite, quite easy and quite roomy on the head. It wasn't uh, too cramped. Yeah, plenty, plenty of headroom. Yeah, I was in a Jag recently, and that was there wasn't much headroom in that. But uh, no, there was plenty of headrooms because it had the sunroof. And um, normally, anything with a sunroof for me and my head, my head hits it. Now you actually ride a Harley for your entertainment. Is there a similarity to that? Was there a feeling not wind in your hair, but perhaps grunt? Yes, yes, that low down grunt and the uh, just the acceleration of it would probably give Mahali a bit of a run for its money, I think. <laughs> but it is not all about brute power. It is a luxury vehicle, although it is hard not to come back to performance in a vehicle that will, under acceleration, lift its nose and run like the wind. So can we get a more diagnostic evaluation? Motoring writer Alan Zervis and I have had the pleasure of driving this vehicle. Alan, I found sitting in the car was uh, more like a lounge than just a normal vehicle. Yeah, as with most Range Rovers and most Jaguar Land Rover products, it feels like a, uh, like a club. It's, mm. it, they're just beautiful seats. The dashboard had leather across it and it seemed like it was reaching a style rather than just tacking on a few bright baubles. Yeah, it was designed like that 
from the beginning, you know, a lot of um, car makers will just do soft coverings on the posh models, whereas this was designed that way from the word go. The outside of it, do you think it looks stylish enough, aggressive enough? How would you describe it? I think it looks fabulous. The the really big wheels, and they've got some exclusive colours that are just SVR colours. There's a, a black pack that makes it look even more aggressive, and I like the sort of squareness, the solid uh, kind of tank-like um, stance on the road. The engine, it is a performance engine, perhaps not something you would expect from an SUV? No, I wouldn't, uh, and it's it's an absolute star. It's obviously a, an engine used elsewhere in um, Jaguar Land Rover and comes in various tunes as well, so you can get different power levels and so forth out of it. But it propels, what, two-and-a-half-tonne car in under five seconds to 100. It does sound right too, doesn't it? Sounds awesome. It sounds brilliant. And better in sport mode. (laughs) You can press a button that makes the exhaust sound even louder. I must say the 16-year-old was keen to make sure that switch was on. I've got to tell you, the 16-year-old in me had it on (laughs) all the time. (laughs) And I'd like to say there's a car that uh, is in the car park at our place. And uh, whenever I bring something that's got a decent engine home, it sets off the alarm in that car, uh, even if I just idle past. So uh, I always make sure the, the, the button's on the loudest to make the alarm go off. And that was motoring writer Alan Zervis. Perhaps it's not possible to get an evaluation entirely without emotion for such a vehicle. The fuel consumption was rated at the combined cycle of 12.8 litres per 100, but it peaks at 18.3 litres per 100 around the city. The recommended retail price is $194,415.08. To get it on the road, including an extra $40,000 for the luxury car tax, will set you back about a quarter of a million dollars all up, depending on which state of Australia you purchase it in. For example, in the Northern Territory, it's a steal at $245,400, while the most expensive state is Western Australia at a smidgen under $253,600. The fuel consumption doesn't seem to matter anymore. This is Overdrive across Australia. And we're back again with our quirky news for this week. And as always, well, not as always, but nearly always, we're joined by Brian Smith. Okay, Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Errol, you're going to lead the way for us. Well, if you've been pinged by a speed camera and and thought the due process of contesting that ticket was daunting and not worth the effort, like most people, then consider yourself lucky that you at least had the chance. Because in the tiny town of New Miami in Ohio, Um, They decided that they liked the revenue from their local speed camera on the highway US 127 so much that they didn't need to bother with the constitution or anything and bypassed people's right to contest their tickets. Now, a court has ruled that that was a bit of a no-no and ordered the town to pay back the entirety of every single speeding ticket that they had collected, totaling well over three million US dollars. They love their constitutional rights over there, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yes. Wasn't there also another problem, though, too, was that they told them that there would be a 15, 15 11 mile per hour tolerance 
and then people got booked for being less than that arbitrary uh, cutoff point. Yeah, I think that, that, that's in, in, in Ohio. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, and I should point out that $3 million might not sound like a lot, but this is a town with only about 2,000 people in it. They lied about the tolerance, so I like the point that the constitutional whatever is being used, that authorities must tell the truth. Apparently it doesn't apply to presidents, but, but it ought to apply certainly to all those who are in power. I like that. Yes, yes. Well, you know, it's there for a reason, and I guess the um, basically what happened is the town tried to override even the state laws um, and get around, you know, just basically saying, well, you know, it's not a fine, it's something else. <laughs> That's right, a levy. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a tax. Tax by another name, yes. <laughs> you ever read the American Constitution? No, David, have you? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I've scanned through it. It's, a lot of it is process bureaucratic process the president have certain powers so that's interesting when of course it was written and americans believe that it is so set in stone the president was the commander-in-chief of the army and the navy because there wasn't such a thing as an air force oh of course yeah. you know which of course comes this whole thing that uh, people believe the constitutional right to have guns and they believe that because the Constitution is this immovable thing that is so set in stone, like the Ten Commandments, it's so written that it's fantastic. And, of course, it was the comedian, the Australian comedian, Jeff, uh, James, Jeff, Jim Jeffries, who said, yes, that's very good, except the, the part that you're relying on is called an amendment. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he used far more uh, profane language to describe it. But I like the... Th I mean, if you read the thing, at the beginning, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect unit, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defence, promote the general welfare, you've got to admit that, that there's just that's got nothing to do with the politics of the day. The Australian, of course, uh, constitution doesn't have a Bill of Rights. It doesn't have that sort of overriding principle that they want to it, and uh, perhaps it should. But, of course, it doesn't mean anything to Americans as long as you can uh, claim that it suits your cause. I've digressed. Brian, you have a story for us. Yes, David, we've reported previously on changes to the agreement between you, the owner of a vehicle, and the vehicle's manufacturer that are coming in with the increasing uh, technology included in vehicles. And uh, uh, increasing computerization can mean that uh, you don't actually have the right to repair your own vehicle. And this is no more seen, uh, no more importantly seen than in the world of the tractor, where um, for quite some time, uh, manufacturers like John Deere have been not so much selling tractors to people, but uh, giving them a license to operate the vehicle. And then they lock the user, the owner, into an agreement that prevents them from even looking at the software that operates the tractor and the signals that it generates. So, so no longer can a farmer repair their vehicle. They have to use an authorised repairer. And some of the problems that can occur where um, uh, tractor owners are forced to put up with a, a warning tone going off or... or um, some problem that they know they should be able to fix themselves but are required to use the manufacturer. So in the States, the Americans uh, farmers are now pushing for uh, fair repair bills, which would require companies to provide uh, consumers and independent repair shops with access to the service manuals, the diagnostic tools and the, and the parts 
shops like that. So they're not just limited to a single supplier of those repairs. And and at the same time, a number of, of uh, tractor owners are now um, using Ukrainian software that they're downloading from special forums to allow them to do the diagnostics. As some farmers talked about it, they say um, you used to just need um, tools for the job and now you need tools and software to, to do mm. a simple repair. Yeah, they've got this um, sort of um, – some farmers have got this nightmare scenario where John Deere could remotely shut down their tractor and there wouldn't be anything they could mm. do about it. Yes. Because they, they could just decide arbitrarily that you've installed an illegal part and we're going to stop your tractor from functioning. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite feasible for them to do that, for them to uh, effectively say, um, well, you know, if you've breached our licence, our agreement, then we withdraw your right to use the, the thing. So, yes. your, so there's a question quarter, of ownership. Quarter is, of, yeah, it's a quarter yes. of a million dollars for, yeah, for some yeah. of these so, things. This concept of ownership is changing hugely in, in very substantial ways um, with computerization. I'm not into understanding about hacking software, but could I get their new software and put it on my old machine? I wonder whether, and then get a, a cheap Ukrainian copy cheap of upgrade. it. Cheap upgrade. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, you might have to download a hack for your car in future, David. My sons often talk about a cheat as well, that uh, if you have a system that says, oh, you need to pay more money in order to get this, that there's a way around it. But I find this whole thing un-Australian because the Australian was the classic bush mechanic, that they could fix things or make things with a bit of fencing wire and a, a pliers, and now they're going totally against this in this modern world. I met the bloke we've had on the program before, Matt Wood, who, who's a, a, a journalist in in motoring mainly to do with the more uh, like commercial vehicles and so on lovely bloke he's going tractor racing and of course it's a lovely in australia it's knockabout in america it's big business with huge sponsorships but in australia it's the a question was genuinely honestly asked whether a guy was pondering whether a world war ii radial engine might be the way to go now, isn't that lovely and <laughs> <laughs> and you'd put it together with fencing wire. You know, I tell you what, a lot of people now are buying diesel engine pickups and, and SUVs, and they're very sophisticated diesels. I was talking to a guy who does go you know, bush, going out in the bush. He wouldn't want one. He said, because one whiff of slightly dirty diesel, and they stop. And if you stop out on the Canning Trail uh, track, you the, the tow fee to start with is $15,000. <laughs> Wow. And thank you, gentlemen. I always appreciate your time and effort. So thank you, Brian, and thank you, Errol. You're welcome. No worries, David. And uh, Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we were talking unusual stories in the wonderful world of motoring and transport. Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, David Saxburg, Brian Smith, David Campbell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.